Father, I want to love to lift up to you uh, Rudy and Minda and Paul, the entire family, that you would have your hand, uh, your sovereign hand on them, whatever is to take place here. We know that as we make requests to you, your will will certainly be done. But we first pray for Minda that you would heal her of the brain tumor, that you could easily take it away, Lord. And we'd ask that you would do that as a testimony to the doctors and all who know her. Uh, We know that you can, Lord, and we ask that you would be willing to do so. And we do make this our request, but we also pray for wisdom uh, for the doctors as they diagnose and they uh, go into the brain and they remove this tumor. We would ask that you would steady their hands, give them eyes to see what is normally not seen. Uh, We pray also for the nurses, the attendants, everyone that is surrounding Minda, that you would give them an incredible heart uh, to minister to her during her time of need. And for Rudy, Lord, I I pray for wisdom, that you would show him exactly what your will is, what he's to say, how he's to operate and minister to his wife. Uh, We know that, uh, Lord, as we ask you these things, it, it is all according to your will, but we do ask that you would intercede. And Father, for your word as well, we ask that you would bless your word as it goes forth and may you multiply it in our lives that others might see that we desire to follow you in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We are currently in the little epistle of 1 Timothy. I'd like you to turn there. Chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. We left off in verse 8 last time. Now, there is a word. This word is sagacious. Sagacious is an adjective that means having or showing key discernment, sound judgment, and farsightedness, even being shrewd, keenly perspective, discerning, and by some exceptionally developed or extraordinary natural power. That's what sagacious is or sagacity. I want to tell you a story. In a small town hundreds of years ago, a small business owner owed a large sum of money to a loan shark. The loan shark was very old, unattractive, and he was a guy, it just so happened that he fancied this business owner's daughter. He decided to offer the businessman a deal that would completely wipe out the debt he owed. However, there was a catch that he would only wipe out the debt if he could marry the businessman's daughter. Needless to say, this proposal was met with a look of disgust. The loan shark said that he would place two pebbles in a bag, one white or light color and one black or dark color. The daughter would then have to reach into the bag and pick out a pebble. If it was black, the debt would be wiped out, but the loan shark would marry the daughter. If it was white, the debt would be wiped, but the daughter would not have to marry the loan shark. Standing by this pebble-strewn path in the businessman's garden, the loan shark bent over and picked up two pebbles. While he was picking them up, the daughter noticed that he picked up two black pebbles and placed them both in the bag. He then asked the daughter to reach in the bag and pick one. Well, she had three choices. She could say, no, I refuse to pick a pebble out of the bag. Secondly, 
she could take both pebbles out of the bag and expose the loan shark for who he was, a cheater. Or third, she could pick a pebble out, knowing full well that the black pebble would cause her to sacrifice her marital life, but her father would be forgiven and he'd be free. So she drew out a pebble from the bag and before looking at it, accidentally dropped it in and amongst all the other pebbles. And she said to the loan shark, oh, how clumsy of me, never mind. If you look in the bag for the one that is left, you will be able to tell which pebble I picked. Now, this was a very sagacious woman. She was very shrewd in the way that she handled this. She not only earned her own freedom, but the freedom of her father as well, and just made the loan shark very frustrated. Now, Scripture tells us a lot about these types of women. You know, if you go to the book of Proverbs, there is the Proverbs 31 woman, and it lists different things going down there. And they are all attributes that are to be aspired to. Some women hate hate that particular chapter, and other women, they look at it as something that is a goal. Well, in this particular part of Scripture that we're going to be getting to, the Lord points out through Paul to Timothy that there are some issues that women need to deal with or deal with. Now, when God made the world and all that was in it, the Bible tells us at the end of certain segments of the creation that it was good. Whenever he got done six times, he said, it was good, it was good, it was good. Now, on the sixth day, when he had completed all of the creation and he created man and woman, he said, it was very good. Use an adverb there. It was very good. He, he drew an intensity to the good when he said that. So when he looked at the man and he looked at the woman, very good both of them were. Now, sure, God created the man before the woman, but then you always have to make a rough draft before the final masterpiece, right? That's the way it works. <clears throat> well, in Genesis chapter 2.18... Uh, We know the story, and it says, And the Lord God said, It isn't good for man to be alone. I will make a companion for him, a helper suited to his needs. Now, in an ideal world with biblical worldview, the woman, the fulfilled woman, marries a man, and they both experience a deep sense of companionship. She assists her husband in becoming everything that the man is meant to be in the eyes of God and of man. And the man learns to sacrifice everything that he is and all his possessions for the sake of his beloved companion, his wife. That's ideally how it's supposed to work in a perfect world with a biblical worldview. Now, an ideal biblical worldview, this would be attainable, but the problem is that though a disciple can maintain a biblical worldview, uh, we do not live in an ideal world. So what are we supposed to do with that? And of course, most of the Bible tells us of these stories of the failings of human beings and how they should have acted and how it should have been overcome. The world has fallen and it's under a curse and therefore the relationship between men and women suffers. It should be perfect, but it suffers no matter what because we're all sinners. Now, 1 Timothy gives us an indication of some of the issues inside the church that were particular to women inside the church. Not that men don't have issues inside the church. They do. It's just this particular portion of scripture points it out for women. 
So in verse 9 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy, it says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. Now, if you look at this particular section of scripture, you could easily, if you had this bent, you could easily become a misogynist, which means you hate women. You could say, see, it's her fault. She became a sinner. And then Adam ate afterwards. And all she has to do, stay at home, have babies, and then she can get saved. Now, if you had that particular view, you would be wrong. That's not what scripture is referring to here. But a lot of times, and especially throughout history, women have been subjugated to men, and I would say evil men, that read this particular passage in that fashion. But there are some issues here that Paul addresses concerning women, and they were, number one, outward appearance, the way that they looked. Number two, it was their actions, what they did. Number three, it was their speech, what they said. Number four, their station in life, and I'll explain what that means. Number five, how she processes information. And number six, I'm going to put in quotes, salvation. Those six things are dealt with in this particular passage. <clears throat> now, these things would be issues that would present difficulties for women in the church, not only for the time in which it was written, but even for our day and age here. So the first thing is the outward appearance. I will read it again in verse 9. It says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. There's a companion verse to this. This actually came up in the youth group. A question was asked of me. What does this mean exactly? And I said, well, you need to turn over to Peter and find the companion verse to this. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, it reads, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of the inner self, of the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past used to put their hope in God and used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now in the New King James Version, it says, do not do this merely on the outside. In other words, if... Here, is that better? Thank you. If women seek to be beautiful on the outside, I think it's great. Uh, imagine a woman who got up, she didn't comb her hair, she didn't wash her face or do anything, and she just went out and started the day. And if women are able to do that. That's just fine if they want to do that. But if they, uh, it was David Hawking who used to say, uh, not that he still doesn't say it, but he used to say, if a fence needs painting, paint it. You know, and he he would say this about women. If women want to use some makeup, they can use some makeup. It's just fine. There's no prohibition against makeup in some church denominations. Uh, 
take it all the way, and they say, no, no makeup whatsoever. And then they give this whole definition of what propriety is or or how they are to dress that in a way that is acceptable. And it's just short of wearing a burqa for Muslim women. Uh, for instance, you can show no ankle skin. Uh, the dress has to be down to the ground. It must be long-sleeved, high-necked, and the hair should probably be up in a bun or pulled back in some fashion. No makeup, no jewelry, no braided hair. And that is equivalent, I believe, to the Pharisees in the Old Testament who came up with a whole list of things that should not be done in order to fulfill the Old Testament law. And men who have been misogynists have come along and basically said, women are to be ugly because they're such a temptation for men. And therefore, uh, since they are to be submissive to their husbands and they're to dress in such a way to not draw attention to themselves, this is how they should dress. Might as well just put a gunny sack on them and put a veil over their head. Now, for a a man, there is nothing more beautiful than a woman. Now, I've had a lot of experience in my life of seeing the natural wonders of the world. I've been to different places. I've been to the depths of the ocean where the light starts to fade. I've been up at 13,000 feet on the top of Mauna Kea in Hawaii. And I've been up in the high Sierra. I've been to the Yosemite Valley. I've been across the country. I've been foreign countries, just beautiful things out there. I've seen tropical forests. I've seen the desert land. I I have been to so many places. I am so blessed. But I'm telling you, speaking as a man, there's nothing more beautiful than a woman. And that outward appearance, if, if the woman, and this is a natural bent of woman, they love to attract the eyes of men. Uh, now, Nothing wrong with that. God created us that way. He gave man two eyes to see. And he put with inside the man the desire to recognize beauty. And, of course, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That is true. But there are certain characteristics that even the Bible would say this person was beautiful. Like Sarah. She was so beautiful at 90, Pharaoh wanted her. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that has to be just a knockout beautiful woman. And and at 90 years old, if you say, I want her for my wife, well, uh, you can get the picture of what's going on there. And so God has set us up. That's, That's the way we have been designed. Everything about the woman for the man is appealing for the most part. And by the way, as I go through these different aspects of this particular message, I'm going to speak in a general sense. There are always exceptions to the rule. Uh, There are women who are more masculine that would not attract an eye of a man just because that's how they choose to be. Same thing with the woman. A woman may not give a second look uh, at a man uh, just because of his appearance, but he may win her by what he says. You see, women react differently than the men, and I think most of you already know this. And so this outward occupation of women or this outward adornment of the women it is something that i think is good um as the uh who was it i think uh, pat sent me a verse that was proverbs chapter 32 (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, and there are verses that you can, by the way, there is no Proverbs chapter 32, uh, but he came up with some verse that he wanted to make a point of, and people make up things all the time, and, and uh, scripture talks about a woman being beautiful, and all of that is good, but the thing that is supposed to be remembered and it is we're not to be involved, or the women are not to be involved in being flamboyant, grandiose, or ostentatious is the word in the way that they dress. Uh, if you were to go to a parade, especially to a Mardi Gras parade down in Louisiana or Mississippi, the way that the women dress there is in an ostentatious manner with feathers and gold flakes and, and just the dresses or the... Uh, garments that they have on that's how they dress now could you imagine somebody being in a parade down in mississippi or louisiana and then going into church right from the parade the way that they would dress that would be a a state of being in an ostentatious uh, or going in an ostentatious manner a flamboyant manner and god is saying through paul to Timothy, women who come into the church are not supposed to be this flamboyant view of a beautiful woman It's supposed to be a little toned down. And beauty is an amazing thing. Leo Tolstoy wrote this. It's an amazing, or it is amazing how complete is the delusion that beauty is goodness. And I think that that is very true. You, uh, most of us associate beauty with goodness, and that is not the case. Uh, One woman wrote, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clean to the bone. Uh, You know, so on the inside, that ugliness in a woman and in a man, it goes all the way down, but you can be deceived by seeing the beauty on the outside. And in youth and beauty, wisdom is but rare. Homer said that. And so you can be completely just a raging beauty, but on the inside, there can be ugliness and wisdom could be completely fleeting. And one other person wrote, beauty is worse than wine. It intoxicates both the holder and the beholder. So somebody who is a woman can look into a mirror and she can think that she is very beautiful and it's almost intoxicating. And then a man can see her and he will be intoxicated by his beauty. The book of Proverbs talks about the man not being deceived by the beauty of a woman. But the tendency of a woman is to focus on the outward beauty. And with that, God brought a curse in Isaiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. The Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, tipping along with mincing steps, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will bring sores on the heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their scalps bald. And and so they were focused solely on the outside. They were not focused on the inside. And, of course, all the ornaments that they had. And it, it continues all the way down through verse 26. But in our world today, women are taught to focus on the beauty. You know, the runway models that are out there, they starve themselves in order to become what they consider to be beautiful. And they are taught to be obsessed with this. And men are naturally drawn to the outward uh, beauty of the woman. Now, there are some statistics with the cosmetic industry. 
It's about $60 billion that are used every year in the cosmetic industry, and it employs almost 55,000 people just for cosmetics. I remember going to the mall when you could uh, down in Parkway Plaza, and there is one store there that used to be, it may still be there, next to Macy's that dealt with nothing but makeup and polish and hair stuff and that's all it was and I remember I would go in there for uh, one or two things usually at Christmas you know I I have a household of females and and so that's where I'd go I I would look for some things in there and the line would just go to the back of the store during Christmas time just for all of these beauty products that would be in there and so the the beauty industry, uh, it makes more than $25 billion, and yeah, that's a lot of money. And so definitely in our society, the focus is on that. So uh, the moral of the story here is the women are not supposed to strictly focus on the outside, which it's okay you can focus on the outside, just not in a grandiose manner. But the more important thing is what is on the inside. And I will confess to you, in my younger years, there would be um, some young women that I got to know that weren't as beautiful as like some of the homecoming queens. But on the inside, and this was before I was a believer, on the inside there would just be this beauty that you would see on the inside. And it made them attractive uh, to the guys who were around. And again, they, they weren't the homecoming queens. But certainly on the inside, they they had taken some time to make themselves beautiful. And then there's the actions of the women. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 says, But with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So what are these good deeds? Instead of focusing on the outside and the adornments which are on the outside, and we're supposed to have the women focus on the inside, but there's also good deeds that are appropriate that would accompany a woman who is saved, who claims to worship God. Uh, There's this guy, uh, Sam Levinson. He wrote this. For attractive lips speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes seek out the good in people. For a slim figure, share your food with the hungry. For beautiful hair, let a child run their fingers through it once a day. And you read that and you go, yeah, that, that would be good. Those would be good deeds. You know, a woman who is busy doing things to benefit others. Uh, you know, I watch my wife deal with our grandchild, uh, our son, <clears throat> grandson, Steele. And he just loves her. I mean, if, if her, his mother wasn't around, it would be Grammy. I mean, Grammy just loves him, spends time with him, and she... He crawls all over her, and same thing with uh, Stephanie, my daughter. He crawls all over her, and, you know, they're just spending time, the two of them, ministering to this little boy. And, and it is so wonderful to see him just kind of growing up and, and beginning to speak and all the time that they're taking, teaching him things. It, it's just a great thing, and, and to see a woman involved in that, it's, it's a good thing according to Scripture. Now, Proverbs 31.30, it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I can say that over the years, the women that I've met that have been in the faith, the one who fears the Lord, they, they are to be lifted up as examples 
of what a woman should be. Then there is the speech. In verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but must be silent. So a man who is weak in his own skin would have a tendency to subdue a woman by using this verse. You just need to be quiet. You just need to not talk. It's not the time. Maybe use a hand gesture, you know, like this. Like, don't say anything. That, that's enough out of you. God does not want it to be that way. God gave the woman the power of speech as a help, not as a hindrance. Now, she can use it as a hindrance, but it was meant to be of a help to men or specifically her husband. Now, it was welcomed and was fully expected that women would be a part of the church. No question about this. But apparently there were some problems with women not, or women not being quiet and also of women not being submissive. Now, this submissiveness was applying to the church services and studies and also in the context of teaching. So if you can imagine a, a teaching or service going on, there were women, women who were not being quiet. So I've tried to imagine what this might be, not being quiet and not being submissive. Now, those two could be tied if a woman spoke up during a service and somebody like her husband told her to be quiet and she said, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to go ahead and say what I want to say. Now, that could have been a possibility of what's going on or if there was something to be said in the context of a study that she had a lot to add to the study. Now, most of us in here have been to a Bible study. And in that Bible study, sometimes there are people that like to manipulate the time. They have a lot to say. And even though they're not the teacher, they tend to grab all the time. And you must be a diplomat when you come in and say, okay, let's move on. And you're looking for an inroad and you're waiting for a pause to do that. And sometimes that pause doesn't come. But you have to preserve the time. You have to stay and focus on the teaching. And that happens. Now, I know none of you in here are like that, uh, just for the record. But there are people that can be like that. They like to hear themselves speak. They like to dispense their knowledge. And Scripture tells us that we're not supposed to dispense everything that we know at any one time. So women, they are relational but scripture also tells us the same book in chapter 5, verse 13, it talks about young widows since they like to communicate. It says they can become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies because they like to communicate. Now, this is part of a makeup of the woman. Uh, because women are so relational, relational, they have a tendency to talk and sometimes a little too much. Have you ever heard the phrase where there are many words, sin is not absent? Uh, and that comes from the Bible. Uh, when women communicate through words, they feel emotion more than men. A fulfilling relationship for a woman is one that is full of communication. <clears throat> and so when somebody speaks, it, if, it takes some effort. But if a man was to say the right things, he could get a woman to cry. And not because he's berating her. He could do it because he's showing affection to her. He could make her cry. Now, some women, they like a good cry. 
men, when their eyes start leaking, they go, what? what's going on here? You know, something's wrong with this leaking of the eyes and I need to stop it. But women, for the most part, if they get a good cry in, they'll feel better. And having a house full of women, I know what this is. <clears throat> and so when women are talked to, it makes them feel different things. Like if they're offended because of something that has been spoken, it takes some undoing to make them feel better. A conversation must ensue that is probably much longer than the original offense in order to have an explanation. I was reading a bunch of information about women and men in the relationship, and if a woman says what, that gives the man time to rethink what he just said. You know, so he, he has to step out and make sure he's saying the right thing in order that his wife or his girlfriend or the woman does not feel worse on the inside. Now, if for a woman there is no communication, there can be discontentment, anxiety, irritation, unhappiness, fear, and fretfulness. And that's why women need to talk. Now, Patty and I, traditionally, we sit down and <clears throat> when I get home, she says, how was your day? And you know what that is? That's the introduction. The introduction to everything I need to let her know about what I've done during the day and it's good and we interact back and forth and if I'm a little preoccupied uh, then it, it, it doesn't go as good as it could and I, it's my job to make sure that I am communicating to make sure that she uh, is fulfilled and she, she thinks that she has a great relationship and that's what I'm supposed to do as the man. And if I don't do that, all of those things that I just described to you can take place with not Patty, but with any woman that is out there. And so um, the passage <clears throat> I'm going to go back to in Genesis chapter 3 here, when it comes to the relationship with the man and the woman, part of the fall that took place is the woman not only likes to communicate, but she likes to communicate and get information for the power that she might wield. Now, let me explain what that means. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 says, Then the woman, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. This is a curse as a result of the fall. It goes on to say, And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, I was going through several different translations of this particular verse. And in some of the translations, <clears throat> they would say that your desire, your affection will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. I think that's a mistranslation of the text. I think uh, this particular translation, it, this is the New Living translation. I don't recommend this for all of your translational work, but it does say it well here. It says, and you will desire to control your husband. And so with the information and communication that the woman gets, she will have a tendency to line up things just as she wants to based on the information she receives. Whether it's how she relates to her husband, how she relates to the world, how she relates to church, how she relates to the family, all of those things come into play with the information that she has. <clears throat> the tendency of the woman will be to control. That's what she wants to do according to the fallen nature. Now, for men, the fallen nature is to be harsh and overbearing and ruling. And it does say here, he will rule over you. That's part of the curse, too. And to undo the curse, the wife must try not to control the husband, and the husband must try not to control the wife. 
And so if you are able to act as co-heirs, it works much better. But in the context of the church, here the women were not being submissive, which is the natural fleshly bent of the woman because it is the curse that she lives under. Also for the man, the curse is sweat and being tired and wearing out. All of those things were part of the curse. And so the woman's fallen desire is to control and not be submissive. And this was being evidenced inside the church that Timothy was pastoring. And he let him know that the woman needed to be communicated with that to learn in quietness and full submission. Now, I've seen this taken to the extreme. <clears throat> Years ago, somebody left a Bible study that was there with his wife because in the Bible study, we allowed women to speak. We allowed women to uh, answer the questions on the Bible study. And he didn't think that was appropriate because verse 11 says a woman should learn in quietness and not speak at all. And of course, this kind of ruins the idea of Stephen's daughters in the book of Acts who were prophesying in the church. What do you do with that? Uh, Should they have been quiet or were they allowed to prophesy? And so it's the idea of the woman not being in submission and learning in quietness, like not talking all the time. It's not that the woman couldn't ask a question. They're supposed to ask a theological question of their husband first. But if they can't get an answer from their husband, the husband can go back and ask the pastor or the elders. And the woman, I feel, is free to ask those same questions as well. But it's this idea of not being submissive that is really in focus here, which causes her to want to just blurt out things. And the Lord tells us from Paul through Timothy that this is, should not be the case inside the church. Then there is the station in life. <clears throat> in verse 13, it says, For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And it's dealing with this idea of submission. Now, we all have our stations in life. Someone is always in authority over us. But God lays out a system of authority and submission in the scriptures, what it's supposed to be like. For instance, first there is God, then there is man, then there is woman, then there are children. And there's this line of submission that is pointed out in children. Now, in our day and age today, that is completely thrown out. The children should be able to do and say whatever they want if they want to change their gender They need to be allowed to do so. If they don't want to share with their parents their medical history, they should be allowed to do so. All of the, if they want to take drugs or get on the pill to avoid pregnancy, they should be allowed to do so. I'm not talking about just small children, but children are still children until they leave the nest. And even then, some of them don't grow up fully. And so this idea that there is this line of submission that God has set up, it is for our benefit. Now, it doesn't mean that the intrinsic worth of the children is any less than the man or the husband, or the intrinsic worth of the woman is not any less than the children or the husband. We are all equal. We are all co-heirs in Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.8, for the man did not come first, but the woman, or excuse me, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, a woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. And this is in First Corinthians chapter 11. It talks about a head covering for a man and a head covering for a woman. And it, it's this idea of authority, being under authority. And like I said previously, all of us are under 
authority. But Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are all equal as far as our essence, as far as our being is concerned. It's just some have more responsibility than others. And that's fine. That's, that's good. That's wholesome. Our society wants to say, no, that's not true. And we are being lied to all the time in our society. For instance, when it comes to the physical difference between men and women, the media, Hollywood, would like us to think women are equal to men, physically. And I'm sorry, I, I disagree with that. I don't think that that's true. And I think that anybody who teaches that is in error and does a disservice. I think the movies that depict a woman being just as strong and able body as a man, generally speaking, that's a fallacy. It is not true. Uh, I, I saw a little clip, a little picture, a funny picture. Uh, 65,000 single women have starved to death, and it shows one woman trying to open up a jar. She, she couldn't open up the jar. And it was supposed to be a little funny thing that was on there. You know, like most women can't open up the jar. They bang the jar. Or they get the little clip thing and they, they try to open it or the one under the counter and they try to open it there. And <clears throat> it's always fun to grab the jar and just strain at it as a guy. And I, can't, I can't do it. And then the woman grabs it and she just pops it right open. That's always fun to do that. But it, it's this idea that men and women are the same physically, they are not the same. And I'm not even going to go into the emotional part of it, how women and men are not the same, or how they think differently physiologically in the brain and how that works. I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to deal with the physiology of men and women. I have several points here, uh, 13 to be specific. There were more than that, but I'm just going to give you 13. Okay, where do men get fat? That's it. It's our stomach. That's where we get it. I mean, we could have stick legs and have this round torso, right? We look like a barrel with two sticks hanging out. That can be our fate. Now, for women, it's usually the waist below. That's, that's just a common thing. Physiology. Now, I don't know when the last time you saw a guy that had the physiology of a woman, but that's just physically one of the things that is the tendency. Not that it's always the case, but generally speaking, that's the tendency. And then men and women see things differently. Their eyes, they perceive things differently. For instance, when it comes to depth perception, distance vision, lighted environments, men have the edge. Women have better night vision, better visual memory, and can see more of the red of the color spectrum than men can. Women blink twice as often as men and men are about 10 times more likely than women to be colorblind my son-in-law is colorblind I, I was just amazed once I, you know how they have those circles with the dots in them and there'll be a number on the inside and it's like in the green and red spectrum and I, I'm not colorblind I can see the number and I, I handed it to him and he goes no, I, I don't see anything and I was like wow he's colorblind he he can't see those particular colors. And women, the, the combs and rods in their eyes, they have much more. That's why they see puce. And we don't. We see something else, but not the color puce. And the, the tans, there's all these different levels of tans and pinks and reds. And they can see that much better. Men, by far, are 10% larger than women. Just as a general rule, 10% larger than women 
And this is a pattern that persists from birth, since boy infants tend to be larger than girls. Men are stronger. It's estimated that men have about 30% more upper body strength than women. That's because their shoulders are broader as a general rule of thumb. Women have a tendency to have narrow shoulders. This was, they tried to alleviate this during the 80s. Remember how they did that? Women had shoulder pads in all of their clothes. The shoulder pads were out there to make them look a little more even and spread out. And, and it's obvious. I mean, even the world recognized that back in the 80s. Girls mature more quickly. Uh, they generally reach puberty two years earlier than boys do, and it takes boys the rest of their lives to grow up. You know, that's, that's the problem. Men are much more prone to nearly every illness than women. Almost every illness. Now, there are a few diseases that are particular to women uh, that they could die from. They are breast cancer, female reproductive disorders, and benign tumors. That They're susceptible to those things. But every other disease, a man is more prone to get, more so than the woman. Women live longer. I think that's probably because men are stupider than women, but women have a tendency to live longer. Uh, men suffer a higher death rate throughout life than women do. And you, know, you, you do this research and you see some of these dumb things that men do. I, I, I showed a bunch of uh, pictures to the youth this week and it was on decision making. And one of them was a man was standing on top of an open door You know, like if you open this door, he's standing on top of the open door with one hand on the wall and a paintbrush in the other trying to reach a corner. And the door's open and nothing is supporting the door whatsoever. That's why men die sooner than women. Another one that I saw was, it was like on the uh, seventh story building, there was a patio which was out there on the top of a seven-story building, and there was a wall, about a three- or four-foot wall, going around this patio area, and on top of that was a trampoline. On top of the patio on the seven-story building with a small wall. Now, only boys would get on that and jump, uh, and they'd probably go over the side. Another one was a ladder. Two men were standing on a horizontal ladder on a high-rise building while one man went out to the end of the ladder to work on an air conditioning unit where there was nothing below him. And he was standing on the aluminum ladder. All kinds of things like that, just stupid things that men do. That's why they die early. So they are much uh, more prone to live longer than men. Then number eight, men's and women's vital organs differ in size and efficiency. Women have larger livers, stomachs, thyroid glands, and kidneys than men. Uh, Women have lower blood pressure and a faster heartbeat than men. Uh, Number nine, men's fertility lasts longer. Uh, It can go all the way into their 70s while women fertility starts decreasing at age 35. Uh, 10, you can tell a lot by looking at their fingers. Uh, Now, I didn't know this one. <clears throat> and I, uh, immediately I got up in the morning and I walked in and I saw Patty, she was getting ready and I grabbed her hands and I put them up because I was examining the fingers. Now you can do this too. They say 
in general, that if you hold up your hand like this, that this index finger on a man tends to be shorter than this finger right here. Now, you can hold up your hand and you can look at it. For me, that is true. My finger here next to the pinky is longer than my index finger. For women, it's just the opposite, as a general rule. Now, I told that to Penny. She goes, I don't know if you can trust that one. Well, we may not be able to trust that one. But these are people that have done the study. And, and so if you look at your hand, just physiology, you know, it, it's just a little bit different. And then <clears throat> men are big, hairy apes. I did. You know, when you wake up and you find yourself growing hair out of your fingernails, you, you wonder what is on earth is going on. I mean, hair starts growing on men as they get older. It never stops, but it recedes on the top and it just moves location. It just goes to different places. Like, you'll find it on your earlobes. What, what is hair doing growing on your earlobes? It, it's not a natural thing or on top of your nose. You find hair growing on top of your nose. It's just not natural to see something like that. But men are hairy apes. And women, as they get older, they might get one errant hair that, that takes off. But men, we get a forest of it. And so that we're different in that way. Men burn calories faster than women do. Now, I have definitely found this to be the case in my line of work. I can lose five pounds in a day. Uh, there's no question that that has happened to me several times. And women will have uh, a piece of bread and they'll gain three pounds. And they'll say, how, how do you do that? And it's just the physiology of men. And then their bones are different. Women's skeletal structures, uh, they have wider hips, broader facial bones, uh, smaller chins and a longer trunk and shorter legs than men. And that's just the average. So there are physiological differences. That's just 13 of them. And like I said, it's not the emotional or psychological differences that are there uh, that I'm even going to focus on. But men and women are different. But there is this move for, quote unquote, equity. That's the buzzword that's been out there for the past year or two. We want to make everything equal. And it's fine if you want to give a quality of opportunity, but a quality of outcome was never meant to be in the eyes of God. We're, we're not supposed to strive to make everything equal. I love that women are different than men. I, I really enjoy it. Could you imagine going on a hunting trip? You're a guy and you're taking two women with you on a hunting trip. Not that women would hunt, but some women do, and if you go out there, and, or if it was young women, would they stop and, oh, look at that little flower, and they would talk back and forth while the guy, he's looking to kill something, you know, but the women, they get focused on everything else, the smells, they, they smell differently, the, oh, excuse me, that was the wrong way to say it, they perceive scent differently. They probably smell differently too, but they perceive scent differently, which is out there. And in a forest, there'd be all these scents which are out there and they, they see different colors. So they'd see different things out in the forest. And the guy's just going, where's a buck? I, I need to find a deer to shoot. And the women get focused on other things because of the way that they think. We are not equal by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, the women and the men, they are different and their station in life, dealing with that, it, it's okay to be comfortable with your station in life where God has called you as a man or as a woman. Uh, even King David told Solomon, just be a man. Be what you were created to be and be comfortable with your station. Now, how she processes information. Verse 14, 
And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, this was the perfect woman. There was nothing wrong with her. She was absolutely pristine in all aspects of body and soul. Nothing wrong whatsoever. And the way that she processed the information left her open to be deceived. So the perfect woman is open to deception. Now, God meant for a woman's mind to be a benefit to her husband and anyone else she might influence. It was a designed benefit. But that benefit could be exploited and manipulated. Now, we are in a fallen state. Because we're in that fallen state, Satan and the way a woman's mind processes information, he can lead her into deception. And also men can do this. A woman's weakness is her mind, just like a man's weakness is his appetites, his flesh, his eyes, and his pride. So the woman who has a mind that was designed by God is open to deception, but that's how God created her, and that is the benefit that she possesses for the man and anyone else around her. And since we are in this fallen state, how much more is a woman open to deception? The way that she processes information, the way that she thinks. And again, remember, this is an attribute that God gave to women for the benefit of all humanity. But it is more easy to deceive a woman than it is to deceive a man. How many women have broken hearts because a man said, I love you. There are millions out there that have been deceived into thinking something that wasn't true. And all because the man came up with the right words, I'm sure inspired by his own flesh and Satan and the world, in order to deceive the woman. And since she is open to that deception, it is not good that she is in a position to have authority over a man inside the church to usurp the submissive uh, hierarchy which is out there and say, no, I am going to be in charge. And remember, that's the natural fleshly bent of the woman is to be in charge and to dictate how things are supposed to go. And it's the man's job to say, no, this is the way we're going to go. And he bears the responsibility for that. He's the one that goes before God and says, yeah, I made this mistake or I made the right choice. Now, the woman provides counsel because of the way she thinks, and it can be extremely beneficial, but she should not uh, forget that she can easily be deceived. Then, going on in salvation, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now, this is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible Uh, to interpret very difficult and if you read uh, some of the commentators which are out there some say that this is referring to eternal life or salvation that if a woman does not have children she's not saved i mean just on the face of it but a woman will be saved through childbearing it would seem to indicate that's what it's communicating Uh, remember I've, i've talked to you about Interpretation in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, uh, wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Well, if you take it on the face of that and you don't interpret it properly, all you need is wine and money and your life will be great. But of course, that goes against the rest of Scripture. 
What about the women who cannot have children that are barren? Do they not have a chance to get saved? So one thing we know this doesn't mean is that you are not eternally saved because you have children. <clears throat> that is not how salvation works. <clears throat> Although it would seem to say that on the face value of the text, that is not what is being communicated. Also, some say that in context this passage, it means let the men teach and let the women bear children. Uh, in the original it says... She will be saved in the childbirth. And now that could refer back to the birth of the Messiah. Uh, It could be referring to just her station in life in which she was created to maintain. For instance, men were created to provide, protect, love, and care for women. And women were created to respect, honor, and provide a family for her husband and all the other things that go along with that, that's, that's our station. And so if the woman, instead of being rebellious, instead of being loud, instead of dressing in an ostentatious fashion, instead of being deceived, let her hold the position in which God has provided for her. And it's being at home or, you know, she's, it's not that she's not employed. She can be employed, but she's taking care of the household She's providing for her husband. She was created as a King James, a helpmate for her husband. And the world would take it and say, no, the woman is the one who is in charge. And, and if we go with that model, it's going to be much better. I think it was Golda Meir that said, women are just as evil as men and men are just as evil as women. And I'm paraphrasing what she said. But if we're satisfied with our station, if a woman does what God has called her to do, love her husband, love the children, um, be a maker of the household, and the man provides for the wife, dies to himself, he teaches that type of thing. That would seem to be the most obvious interpretation of this. But again, I I must stress, this is not part of our society today. Today, it's completely flipped on its head uh, where... uh, all the commercials, and you've heard me talk about this before, especially white men, they are considered uh, pariah, that you cannot uh, have them being portrayed as a good example. And everyone else, from women to different races, they are being portrayed as the best example. And none of that is true. We are all equal in Christ, every single one of us. Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. I remember that from my childhood. And then in verse 15, it says, with propriety. Uh, in the Greek, uh, referring to the woman, this says, and I'll read the verse again. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. First, men are saved by faith, love, and holiness as well, not just the women. But it adds this, with propriety. And the word in the Greek means sanity, soundness of mind or self-control in other words work at not being deceived if, if you just keep a level head and fall into the station that god has given you as a woman and the men have to do the same thing i'm, I'm not singling out the woman to be berated or anything like that if we just simply do that it will go well and so god set up how women are supposed to act in the church as well as men, there's other passages that deal with the men, but since we're in First Timothy here, we're tackling this. So the application, uh, just like men, God provided wisdom and instruction for the areas in which we lack. And this is the one for women. 
First Timothy chapter 2, 9 through 15 happens to be directed to that uh, fairer sex. Uh, now, for women, I would give you the advice, uh, seek to be wise, pray for discernment and sagacity. Make sure you are shrewd and wise. And men or the husband can be a tremendous help by understanding these areas that women possess that may be a struggle for them. If we seek to understand the opposite sex, it goes a long way. You know, just in the way that we communicate. Uh, men have a tendency to be monosyllabic. If you ask them a question, they go, yes. Or no. Or huh? Or what? And that's how men communicate. And sometimes it's not even in a discernible uh, syllable. It's like, hmm? That's what they say. Where women, they not only use words, but they use phrases and sentences. And to try to overcome that, the men have to speak more, and maybe the women have to speak less. And, and it will come and meet right in the women. So for men, uh, let me give you an example of this. Just trying to understand. Remember I was talking about the fingers on the women and men? When a man realizes... Uh, well, let me get into this one first. When a man realizes that a woman is a teammate and not an opponent, that's when his life changes. Don't break her down, build her up, and let her help you win. Uh, also, if a man expects a woman to be an angel in his life, then he should first create a heaven for her. And finally, referring to the digits, you can tell a lot about a woman by her hands. For example... If they're placed around your throat, she's probably slightly upset. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you and we thank you for your words of wisdom and for the fairer sex. As men, I would ask that you would help us to gain understanding and to be submissive to you in this area that we might assist those who you have given to us. And even for the single women who have their own struggles, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to give them a word of encouragement, direction, teaching of some kind that would benefit them. And for the women, Lord, I, I pray that they would look to you for the eternal wisdom that only you provide, that they'd be able to love their husbands be content in the station to which you have called them as well as the men. And as we do so, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, that people would look at marriages and relationships and they'd wonder why they're successful, those who are looking from outside the church especially. We would ask that you would use us in this endeavor, Lord, and we thank you for what you have provided. In Jesus' name, in the church said. Uh, let's stand, please.